I've realized I want to have a, uh, a small notepad for pen and paper when I go because I have thoughts that I want to capture and I just want to be able to go without taking my eyes off the thing. Just, Ow, like, that's my hand! Just, <laughs> just deal with someone's Talia's face. I just want to like get some inane scribbles down. Talia comes out like, the pen is blue from Liar Liar. <laughs> yeah. It's like, great ending. Yeah. Hello. Hello. For those who can't see me, I think I think this is the 90s equivalent of an abstract Christmas jumper. Yeah. I'm, we- I'm wearing the equivalent of a bus seat. It's like you ripped the... Yeah, I was going to say, it's like you ripped the, the, the material off the Jubilee line. <laughs> that's a jumper. <laughs> and stitched it together. Yeah. It's a bit like, you know, 90s dad. It's dad. It's, dad. it's a daddish vibe. But then yeah. look, look, if I turn around... Sorry to our listeners who can't see this. Oh, a target. It's like a, a target. it's like an ace it's like an ace of diamonds it on is, the back. It's a completely different pattern. <laughs> same same color palette, but completely different. It is that. Like the tube the tube TFL look is quite distinct, isn't it? It's like sort of primary purplish hued colors. Well, it's whatever the line is, there's a there's a distinct ring. So name, oh, name a line. I've never noticed. Bakerloo. Name a line I, I go on regularly. <laughs> Northern. Northern line. I can't remember. You know what? Why did, why did I? Why did I give you the lead? Let me give give myself the lead. Go on. Uh, like the Victoria Line, the seats have the uh, St Paul's and uh, and the, the. Oh, I see. The, Jubilee's the, got the wheel and. No, it's not. Oh, sorry, that's right. It's Jubilee that has the London Eye. Yeah. and the St Paul's because of the Waterloo's station, right? And then obviously, if you get on either, what about Wembley? Uh, hang on a second, right? If you get on the Hammersmith and City. The circle line, the district line, or the um, Jubilee line. No, what's the Northern. no district no, circle? No, the Amersham one, the, the fucking metropolitan, metropolitan line. line. Yeah, those are the same tubes. And if you look at the seat swatch, it has the colours of each of those lines: oh. green, yellow, pink, and maroon, purple, not purple, aubergine. Yeah, claret. <laughs> it is no, it's not claret. Whatever you know, wine colours. <laughs> they have those sort of stitched. This is a terrible opening. I'm so sorry. They were talking about fucking. Train seats, tube seats, but that is there. And then if you go on, yeah, if you go on like the northern and the, the Elizabeth line, obviously it's got purple now mm, stitched yes. through. Elizabeth it, line it, is very on brand. The, it's like futuristic space station meets TFL. <laughs> it really Welcome. is. Welcome. Have you been on it? Yeah, yeah, it's great. It. I yeah, think yeah. It's, I'm it's expecting to see like Jin Ursa running away from some death <laughs> troopers. Yeah, <laughs> some guy in a helmet going like that. You know? Yeah, yeah. The Elizabeth line uh, took its time, but I I enjoyed. Uh, Running around it. God, I don't know why. Yeah, so the jumper, that's what this episode... George looks like a tube. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's what you can take from this. Um, I look like a tube. So, no, it's just a 90s jumper, and that's how we've begun the show today. Um, Did you see lots of films this week? I, James, I went to the cinema three times. Same. And um, so we've actually... We bleed for this. Guys, guys, we've got a lot of films to talk about this week um, because we have been busy going to the cinema. I, mm. And also, I cannot say this enough. All the films are out. All, All the, the films TV's are out. Now. out. Yeah. I can see three films a week and I can finish my week being like, there is still so much. People ask me, did you see this? And I, I'm like, no, no, but I've spinned to the cinema three times. Do you remember that time like earlier in the year when we were like, we can talk about one thing per episode. What's out this week? What one thing? I guess we'll just talk this- about what our favorite movie openings yeah. were. And now it's what like, was that time? And now it's like, it's fucking like the run on the Explosion market. And it's every- you know, Avatar 2 is coming. I'm not saying you want to see it, but that's coming out in two weeks. Oh, Jesus. I it also feel like the hype is not. 
Mm. Well, yeah, but you I'm say that, that's they the released the trailer and it got like film. five million views. It did, it did, it did like well, eight, yeah. six hours. I'm sure it will do well. Um, three hours, by the way, that film. Of course it is. I'm shocker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought it would be a tight 90. Yeah. The film that costs a billion dollars. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah. We, and, you know, so we have been out to see a lot of stuff, uh, you know, like last week. Um, for those who listened, we had uh, Black Panther Wakanda Forever, Barbarian mm. and Armageddon Time. Yeah. This week, we've been to see a whole crop of uh, interesting, slightly smaller scale films. We've got uh, the... Harvey Weinstein Me Too drama, She Said. Mm-hmm. We've got um, new British celebrated debut film, After Sun, which is Paul Meskel's new film from Normal People. And we've got Bones and All, mm. Luca Guadagnino's new film. Of course, Luca Guadagnino made uh, Call Me By Your Name and then the remake of Suspiria and much else besides. And it's got Timothy Chalamet and Mark Rylance in it. So interesting projects with interesting talent. We've kind of- A variety for you there. DVD it up. Also, you finally saw Glass Onion. I did. And I actually went and- off the back of your review last week, went and watched Armageddon Time. Mm, so yes. like we did last week, we're also going to release another spoiler chat halfway through this week. If you want some more in-depth, plot-detailed yes. chat, please go to that. Obviously, you I can mean, check out our spoiler-free reviews. Because if you have seen Glass Onion, you'll realize that there is so much to give away, so much to ruin. So head over to our spoiler chat that's coming out this week for that. Um, so I think really, James, we should just get stuck in and start reviewing the bloody films. Hey guys, it's James. Sorry, just a quick one. I'm currently editing the podcast. I know we just said that we were going to do a spoiler discussion of Glass Onion, but after we recorded the show, George and I realized that Glass Onion is actually only going to be out in cinemas in the UK for a week. Then it's coming out of cinemas and then it's going to come back on Netflix on the 23rd of December. Because there's so much to spoil for this show and we don't want to ruin it for anyone, we're actually going to wait and not put out our spoiler chat for this film yet. So ignore what we've said. We will do it eventually, but probably in a couple of weeks. I tried to edit it out, but it just started to sound weird, so I thought I'd just record this message to let you know. If you want to catch our spoiler-free discussions, that should be on the feed, YouTube, Spotify, all of that. But just to let you know, ignore everything we're saying relating to Glass and Spoiler Chat. That will come. Hopefully, we'll have some really cool content for it. And if you haven't seen it, just go see it, because it's actually really good. But sorry for the disturbance. Back to the show. James, mm. let's, let's begin with After Sun. So Paul mm. Meskel's new film. Paul Meskel, of course, from Normal People. Terrific actor. Onto first onto the scene. And he's now in this new uh, indie, small-scale debut British film. Before I begin with reviewing it, I just want to begin with a little anecdote that happened when I went to see After Sun. Okay. Um, James, so James, let's say you and I were going to the cinema mm-hmm. and I said, uh, oh, this is a seven o'clock screening. Right? Okay. What time would you get into the screening room? I'd aim for seven, but if I if I arrived there, I would be okay to know that like I have I, I would want to be in there by seven ten. You know me when I get into an auditorium with mm. I can see I get I get a bit so I'd aim to be there before seven, but I would be okay to go in at seven five or seven ten. But if it's getting after that, get no. angsty. Yeah, getting angsty. But ideally, you aim for the start of the programming. Interesting, because yeah. I, I you're you're much more disciplined than me. Not that I ever go into things late. Yeah. But I, for the entirety of my adult film-going experience, have always been aware that there is a minimum, at least, of 20 minutes yeah, of adverts and trailers. 20 to right? 25 at the moment. And yeah. throughout my film-attending time, mm. I've, got in, I've gone into showtimes at the, the allocated time and sat and watched 20 to half an hour worth of adverts. I've also gone into um, uh, films because of friends being late and all that kind of stuff, yeah. like 18 minutes late and then still had to sit through 10 minutes of adverts. When I went to see Barbarian last, you know, the mm-hmm. other week, yeah, uh, we went in there at quarter past. It was at seven. It was in there at quarter past. Still had like 15 minutes worth of adverts, yeah. right? 
So I just want to begin by saying that when I went to see After Sun, the film starts at seven. Uh, my girlfriend and I really looking forward to seeing this film. We walk in there at seven ten. The film has started. Wow! But you don't know how long. It, I, we were James, we were completely what was thrown. The cinema chain? An Odeon. What? An Odeon. I've been to this cinema before, and I've sat through hours of adverts before the films begin. Okay. Wow. And I know people might be listening. It might be different in different places thinking, George, if the time says seven, you should go at seven. Maybe I only have myself to blame. But no, like I said, always... every single time I go to the cinema, there's always that window. I almost think it's deliberate to let latecomers in and you use that time to sort of, you know, acclimatize. Yes. I bought popcorn. I don't even yeah. So we walk in at 10 past and seven. you just think, what an idiot I am to stood there in that queue choosing my popcorn. I know, thinking I know, it's a bit... right? There I was taking my time thinking, I don't... Because, you know, frankly... No one enjoys sitting watching 20 minutes worth of adverts. No, it kind of, it's no. exhausting. If you go a lot, you see the same ones. Right. So I go, so we walk in and it's just that horrible. It's like being late for assembly. Yeah. And you walk in and you just, oh fuck. And after some, for reasons I'll explain, it's quite a, a quiet film, quite a sparse film. Oh, a lot of hanging man. silences. So you're immediately like, oh, and Anna and I are looking at each other. Go, oh, and we like quickly find our seats and it's, it's dark, not, darker than it's it is. It's dark, in the and trailers. you can't, you can't. It's not like it's Black Panther where there's lots of noise, and you can quickly take your jacket yeah, off yeah. and get yourself comfortable. It's like quiet, <laughs> intimate, and then you just and you, it's it, it, very hard to relax. Loads of people are in the same boat as us for the next. It's very distracting. Oh, I hate that. I hate, for the next I hate minutes, the people that come in late. Yes, but the, but these people were also I know, not yeah, yeah, super not far, in yeah. the window that we've. But they about. were also just like oh, oh my god, and so that was incredibly distracting, and. Um, it really, it really, really threw me, and I was really, really annoyed. A little bit of myself, more at the cinema, really, that this sort of unspoken rule had been broken. Mm. Um, and I remember sitting there thinking, I mean, I, I started to deduce that I hadn't missed that much. I maybe had missed two minutes. But as I soon realized, after I'd seen the film and spoken to someone, I did miss something important. Really? And I just sat there thinking, if this was a book and someone had torn out the first three pages, it's, it's the same difference. Everything yeah. in a film is... Deliberate, and I started to realize it was like an experiment. Was it bothering you the whole time? It was what bothering me a lot because because a lot of what After Sun does, and I will go on to explain it, is um, show not tell. And there's not a lot of information given away, and I started to think, do I not know that because the film hasn't told me that, or did I miss it at the beginning? Mm. And, I, and it became this experiment when I was thinking, oh my god, I'm starting to realize how essential every single frame of a film is. I hate missing. I hate missing part. I've never yeah, this yeah. happened to me before. And now when it comes hate... out on demand, you're gonna have to. You're gonna immediately well, exactly. get it and watch those so, first but, few minutes. So not only was I like thrown really annoyed, and 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 it left me at a disadvantage to watch the film. I was then. I, I found it really hard to get into the film for ages. I mean, it's only a 90 minute film. Yeah. I was really struggling. And honestly, about halfway through, I was just like, I feel like I'm almost not watching it. I feel, I feel like I've seen this film at a disadvantage. It's terrible. It was a really, really sad experience. And also, because afterwards, you know, my girlfriend and I we were like, we were really looking forward to that. Mm. And we, you know, by our standards, I'm sorry, that wasn't late. That was no, on no. time. That was on that's time. Very, that's bang that's, on it's okay. not like we walked in and it was the BBFC card. It's not like we walked yeah, in and yeah. it was like the last Odium thing saying turn off your phones. Yeah. It was like the film Hello. had started. So um, that was really frustrating. I mentioned that purely because that aside now, I'm going to talk about After Sun. I'm going to talk about it as best I can. But I just wanted to caveat that whatever I say about After Sun, I just want people to be aware that I had this kind of experience with the film that did affect it and made me, I, I frankly think I do, did see it at a disadvantage and uh, I would, you know, whatever opinion I have of the film, that's just always there, okay? For, mm. good, or for good or worse, okay? Can't so. believe you missed Princess Leia in the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> so After Sun is this new British indie film, a debut film from director Charlotte Wells. It stars Paul Meskel, 
who everyone knows from normal people, broke onto the scene back in 2020. And uh, this new actress called Frank, Frankie Corio, who um, had no acting, no prior acting experience at all, and was just involved in this. The, the story is this. I know nothing about this, by the way. Well, exactly. Neither did I going in. I really, really kept it. I just knew it was about a holiday and a, and a father-daughter. So Paul Meskell plays Callum, who's a father to Sophie. And uh, Sophie's 11 and, and Callum is approaching 31. And he's taken his daughter away for a holiday in Turkey. It's, it's the 90s. And um, uh, this holiday is just the two of them. And it, the film is shot in this kind of, kind of quick montage style where no scene is longer than really like two minutes. And it's lots of different snapshots of their holiday. It's checking in, but no one's at the front desk. It's putting coins into the, the arcade games and playing it where, when another kid from the resort turns up. Mm. It's playing pool with your dad. It's playing in the pool with your dad. It's looking at the, at the um, paragliders and saying, oh, why can't we do that? And your dad's saying, no, because it's just too dangerous. And it's too expensive, all that stuff. Um, I think it's also so worth saying, and this is something that was um, I missed because of that incident at the beginning of the film. Uh, it, the whole film is older adult Sophie looking back at her uh, life. Oh my god, what a which is an emotional framing. framing device and adds a poignancy to the whole film that was I was not aware of until much much later That's in the so film. I know. Anyway. So you have this kind of mixture of it of um, there's a constant role of the video camera in it. Um, they're filming each other, they're filming the holiday, and then you will see some of those scenes played out in the video camera. You'll see them watching it on the TV. Um, Paul Meskell's character, Callum, is no longer with Sophie's mother. He lives in London. She lives in Glasgow. But they have this weekend, this week away together in Turkey, and it's very exciting. It's like a, a resort on the seaside. Um, it's clear from the very beginning that Callum has chaos and uh, a broiling, rolling um, uncertainty about him that's, that's clearly like off screen or been pushed aside for this holiday. He is a fun dad, but he's kind of holding it together. Very early in the film, he, when they arrive at the hotel, she falls asleep and he sneaks out to the balcony and he has a like, clandestine cigarette on the, back, you know, on the balcony and sort of does a little dance. And you get this very, very subtle uh, awareness that you know, he's, he's, he's holding himself together. And, you know, like I kind of touched on earlier, it's a very sparse film. It's a film that shows and does not tell, but it is just made up of moments and interactions. And there are, it is neither overwhelmingly fun and happy, but it is not necessarily overwhelming and sad. What it is, it feels like a memory. It feels like you're experiencing someone's memory of a holiday. Um, there is this creeping sense that, that can't be defined, that something bad is going to happen, that, that this sort of latent anxiety in it, that something is going to go wrong. Like you do, you know that feeling you get when you know your holidays are going to end, you don't mm, want to have it? Yeah. That sort of creeps in there and you're wondering, is something about to really happen? And that kind of looms over the landscape. I think what the, that's, the film comes down to being about landscape. It, the film is very good at mapping the emotional landscape of a holiday and the physical landscape of a holiday. You very much get to know the sort of the ins and outs of this hotel, the, 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 the sound of the pool, the, the, the interaction with the bar, the, kind of the, the look of the sky, the interaction with the locals, the, the, the cheesy karaoke they play late at night, you know, the Macarena is played at one point, all mm. these kind of like staples and then run through with 90s music. But you're also familiar with the emotional landscape there's the happiness and excitement at the beginning of the holiday there's the kind of bonding moments you get when you're really starting to enjoy yourself 
there's the frustration, there's the boredom, there's the not feeling quite right, there's the kind of, hmm, I'm on this holiday. You know, when you have that when you're a child and you think, I'm not, what's happening? I'm not quite experiencing this. Uh, it's not how it was at the beginning, first part of the holiday. Um, what's happening with Sophie, meanwhile, is that she's 11, but she's incredibly smart and she's really moving out of that childhood phase and really starting to grow into adolescence in very subtle ways it's you can see it in her interactions with there are a group of teenagers there like 18 year olds on like a like little lad's holiday um that she kind of interacts with which also makes me feel very anxious whenever i see children on screen interacting with you know drunk you know drunk mm. kids like that it's like uh, you know it happens in like eighth grade a little bit yeah, so it's literally just about to yeah. Up, yeah um but but you can sense that she's sort of blossoming in her own identity but meanwhile you know it's her dad's birthday soon and like i said there's something there's something clearly in the background with Callum that he's holding together. He has a cast on his arm from where he says he breaks his wrist. It's subtle, it's sparse. And I would, I think people would be forgiven for finding it a little bit claustrophobic, a little bit slow, uneventful, boring. You could throw those things at it. I was, you know, going along with it okay. I think I probably would have felt more connected to it had I been able to see the film from the yeah. beginning. But what I will say is the film really in the last third, just really actually just more towards the end, it really builds to an emotional climax that I think is really well done. And it's very clear when this happens that Charlotte Wells is a clear talent and I really look forward to seeing what she does next. And when, when the sort of moments happen, I think... Because, you know, this isn't, a lot, this isn't a film where big things happen, like I said, yeah. very subtle. So when it builds to a sort of climax, I was like, that is really well done and really powerful. And I wish for me, just based on my pure viewing experience, that I was able to connect to this more. But I think that's because of the way of what happened to me at the beginning. But I was watching it thinking, that's really good. And 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 by the end, I thought, okay, I can see I can see this film is very strong in places and I would look forward to seeing it again. It's a shame about what happened to me at the beginning. But my girlfriend, she she got more of an emotional reaction out of it. It kind of reminded her of holidays. Um and what else is uh, what else to say? Paul Mescal, I think that a lot of people will go see this film yeah. for Paul Mescal. And, and the thing is, Paul Mescal, I think, is only like 26, 27. He's playing a 31 year old. He's younger than me. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I'm so sorry. Shit. Why does this keep happening? Seeing him in the in the role of a father is interesting because you're thinking, on the one hand, I'm I'm so glad you're able to break away from the normal people sort of shadow and do something else. But you're thinking, that's young for a, a father it's explained as part of the plot that you know if he, his daughter's 11 and he's 30 31 you know he had her when he was you know 19 whatever um but he he owns it he completely works it. He, he may not look 31 but he completely occupies the space and you just don't think about it afterwards he's he's obviously doing a scottish accent and like i said the, you know he has the physicality that kind of hulking brutish like brando-esque kind of frame yeah but that 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 has the that, but in the middle of it has that kind of softness, like Connell does in Normal People, that kind of hard exterior, but there's something um, sensitive and soft really in the middle. Yeah, really raw. And there are some great moments Honest. with him. And um, it, it's it. So I, I was really excited to see it from, I, I saw a half of a trailer and I said, oh, stop, I'm done, I'm in. Uh, is it like one, because it's barely, as of recording, there are maybe, it's getting to that point in cinemas where there are one or two times a day, if at all. So it's probably only got another three or four days yeah. left. Should I prioritize this or do you think I could very happily wait it out? I think, because I saw three very good films this week yeah. and I was like, oh, I'm glad I chose well, but at the same time, I could have seen After Sun. I think, I think you could watch it at home. 
But, but but at the same time, I do think it's really. I think there's some real strength in there, and I think you. you I don't know. You could come Is away he doing thinking, something new that, like James. No, no, like you shouldn't wait for this. You should discuss. I want you to discuss. I, it I with think you, it is. I think it, getting that. I think it, I, I think it is towards the end. I think that uh, at the end, you know. <laughs> I read a review from another critic on Letterboxd that really kind of summed it up. And they said, I was watching this film thinking, yes, this is fine, this is okay, I get it. But it was only in the last act that the film really revealed itself. Which and is I, okay. And I properly got to understand what it was doing. And I feel the same way so that now you finish and going, oh, I completely have reevaluated what that film was doing that whole time. Because right, where yeah. I thought it was going in this direction, it was actually doing this much deeper, much more profound emotional thing. So I would say it's only 90 minutes long as well, James. Like... Mm. Go see it. Turn up on time, and um, <laughs> and, I, and I and I do. I, I finished it thinking, whatever happened to me at the beginning with the, missing the beginning, I'm going to go back and I'm going to watch that at some point. Looks beautiful, by the way. It is beautiful, but you also might find it a little bit slow, a little bit empty. Okay, that that's what it is. So I'm sorry that's been a kind of uh, clunky, slightly strange review, very much informed by my own personal experience. But it's got rave reviews, and I can definitely see why people are getting a lot out of it. I can definitely mm. see the talent there and I really look forward to seeing what Charlotte Wells does next and Paul Mescal continues to be a talent and Frankie Corio is, you know, wonderful in it. So there you are. There you go. Did you see After Sun? If you did, please write in and let us know what you thought of it. You can do by emailing hello at popkitchenpodcast.com or be sure to read out your response on the show. I was very presentary there. <laughs> okay, James, let's talk about our next film. You've seen She Said? Yes, She Said. This is a film directed by Maria Schrader, mm. starring the always good in everything, Carrie Mulligan, and Zoe Kazan, who's also brilliant in this, who play Megan Toohey and Jodie Cantor, who are the New York Times journalists who broke the story about Harvey Weinstein, the scandal about Harvey Weinstein, that we all know completely changed the landscape of film, entertainment, and media. Um, and... So this film opens with quite an interesting setup, and that it, it starts with some news articles and news pieces about the revelations that came out in 2016 about Donald Trump right before he got elected. Yes, yeah. and all the, the voiceover that was leaked about him being, you know, boasting about sexual abuse and, mm, and, all, yeah. and basically saying that he could get away with whatever he wanted. Mm. And in any other normal scenario, that story would have killed any presidential yeah. candidate. It would have just completely ruined someone. But the most dangerous thing about that story is that no one, it didn't matter, mm. and no one cared. And what what all that means is that it's starts with this tone that maybe all of this work that these two journalists are doing might not even mm. matter, mm. right? And so from that allegation, the thing that comes out about Donald Trump, these two journalists from the New York Times are right, what, what it seems that, you know, sexual assault is completely rampant throughout the entire industry. What should we investigate? And one of the things they start thinking about is Hollywood and how there have been murmurings about how the, what it's like as a work environment at Miramax and most specifically working for Harvey Weinstein. And what I think is really interesting about this film is that it's the story we all know. It was impossible to mm. avoid, but it's one of those, here's the story of how that story happened. And loads of things about, it, it goes to dissect about how power can completely undo journalistic integrity mm. the deals that are made behind closed doors the money that has changed hands and one of the things they realize is that there have been people who have spoken up and it was ashley judd who had previously spoken up years before but had been ignored she had since been you know removed and blacklisted from hollywood but it was a sense that no one had ever been able to give this story justice because of these settlements had been made money that had changed hands from people who are literally the most powerful people in the industry in hollywood and in the world and this film has quite a dry groundedness to it, especially in the first half, mm. which I very much appreciated considering its subject matter. 
I think it saves it the moments where it wants you to really feel for what's happening later. And I feel like by the time it gets to it, it really earns those moments. I never felt like it was using the what had happened to the women in this story as a way to just give you some cheap emotional thrills. Mm. And it was when it started, I actually appreciated it taking its time to do that. And you can see this is very typical, you know, a journalism film, for almost like a documentary where these two women are chasing the story. They're getting these calls in the middle of the night and their husbands are sleeping and they're just living and breathing every single detail. And you have, um, you know, scenes that are described to you in horrifying detail that make you feel absolutely sick to your stomach and you'll just think to yourself, wow, I did actually forget some of the horrors mm. of what actually happened. And you're hearing from... Uh, and it does, it does a fantastic job of un really understanding how women got into these situations in the, in the first place and the kind of pressure that is put onto you as an employer or being in that industry or how you would even end up mm. in a hotel room with Harvey Weinstein, which is very typically mm. where that happened. Um, and it's about, I think it was six people who they were contacting at this time who all had a story that they had either signed a settlement and could not say what had happened or they were so scared to do so that they just didn't want to say what happened and there's this whole idea that individually they cannot speak out against Harvey Weinstein but what if they all came out at once and it's about them trying to convince those people to have the courage to do that and it, it has this wonderful moment where you get to the point where they're, they're, they're editing this document and so many things are coming together at once. And at the same time, they have to do their you know, due diligence and call Harvey Weinstein and Miramax and say, by the way, we're going to publish this story. How much time should we tell him we're going to give him? Okay, let's tell him two days. But the more time you give him, the more time he has to be like, who did you talk to? I'm going to call every single person you talk to. And mm. it's very much heavily implied that he wants that information so he can hush the whole yeah, thing up. Definitely. There's even a scene where Harvey Weinstein... And he's only really shot sort of over the shoulder, but comes into the New York Times to basically like discuss this story. And mm. it's it's not like the New York Times is saying they would ever have, you know, killed it. Killed it. But it's like this this happens. If you're big enough and you're powerful enough, you can come in with your team mm. and discuss this story and what info you have and how it works. And this is a moment in the trailer where Harvey Weinstein is like, Who have you talked to? Yeah. Um, and there's sort of different, you know, voice actors that are used. There's a version of Gwyneth Paltrow that's in this film. There's mm. sort of other people that are, you know, given a, a dramatization of. And um, when it does build to moments where it really takes its time to tell the story of the different people, it really does, mm. it really does get you. And like I said, it earns that moment. It wasn't just about this story. It was a dissection about how power can protect itself in all elements of society. And that's what I really liked about it. Zoe Kazan, I think, is brilliant. We know Carrie Mulligan's yeah. brilliant, but it, I thought Zoe Kazan just uh, did really well with what she had. Um, and I was really into it. And I couldn't take my eyes off it. I wasn't mm. bored. It was two hours long and I was really there mm. the whole time. And at the moment, I felt this really uh, satisfying, cathartic, what a, what a well-told story, almost documentary-like yeah. in how factual it was. Yeah, I, um, I, I, that sounds great. I really want to see it. I did think, having seen the trailer, that I've seen everything. The, I don't think that's true. But okay, good. Because I was like, this, this trailer has basically showed me every single beat. I mean, I, lo I love a tale like this. Like, Unless you're really well read on no, the individual yeah. stories, I don't, I don't think that's I, true. I was nice. working in film the day the allegations came out in October yeah. 2017 uh, at an event for BAFTA. Wow. And, there were, and we were doing the sort of seven o'clock in the morning roundup together to start the day. Mm. And there were people there who were much more senior than me and they all said to everyone, they're like, have you read this stuff about Harvey Weinstein? And there was this mm. look, because these people had 
engaged, you know, worked with them. So not for him, but like obviously encountered him in the industry. They were like, yeah, I know, this is it. This is it. Yeah. Um, but one thing it does, like, you know, talk about ramifications of what it means to investigate a story. There's a really great moment where uh, Zoe Kazan realized she's got to fly to two different places to try and track down these people and basically plead with them to like, hear their story because she heard from someone else that they had had yeah. an incident but it wasn't for them to say so she goes to this she flies to sort of somewhere in uh, in california to this woman's house and she goes and knocks on the door and she's not in but her husband is there and she says oh hi i was wondering if your wife is in she, he's like no she's not here what can i do for you and she's like oh i'm an investigator for the new york uh the new york times um i'm in i'm investigating uh you know about bad conduct, employee conduct at Miramax. Your wife used to work at Miramax, right? And he's like, yeah, she did, but why? What's this got to do with her? And it's like, well, I'm currently investigating instances of sexual assault and rape. And he's like, well, why would my wife have anything to do with that? And you realize that, like, she hasn't really told her husband mm. what has happened. Yeah. And, like, it further shows that if she's not willing to tell her husband because of just how messy it is, yeah. like, how hard is it for her to now ask this person to reveal yeah. a story to the world? And it's, it's just really like, this is what happens, goes into a story. I'm sorry to cut you off. There's another, there's another moment when they find out that Hollywood Reporter are also investigating the same thing as them. And they realize that they're now racing against a clock to get this story when they can't rush it because yeah. they need to convince people to all jump at once. If they don't have, you know, a name, if they don't have uh, evidence, yeah. it, it basically doesn't have any fire behind it. And so they're now like running against the clock, want to publish the article, but also don't want to rush it to not give it the legs it deserves. Mm. And yeah, just again, like all these wow. things you would never think about before no, a story. I, I, think it, I think it sounds great. You know, you don't need to you know sell anymore I, I i want to see and it's really in that kind of vein of you know it's got spotlight it's got the kind of uh, that kind of territory all the president's so. men the post the report like all whistleblown um you know big revelation films and um yeah i think i think it looks like really thrilling so it, it does it ever border on melodramatic you know when you have some of these like um, real things that happen sometimes they can play it really straight and dry or they can you know, build it up a little bit. It's very straight and dry and very much way. appreciated. Fantastic. And it, it earns it earns the moment where it says, hang on, like this is why yeah. you should be emotionally attached to this. And it's a it's a very Brilliant. fantastic reminder of that. And I think uh, you know, it, it was it that story came out and I think it was it was, you know, a, a very small number of allegations. And since then I think it's been eighty two that have come to light with many more implied to have been settled with financial yeah, it's Brilliant. Okay, if you've seen She Said, write into hello at popkitchenpodcast.com and let us know what you think. Do you agree with James? Do you disagree? Let us know. So, George, another film that you and I have seen this week is Bones and All. Yes, Bones and All, Luca Guadagnino's new film. Luca Guadagnino, of course, who made Call Me By Your Name and then the remake of Suspiria and much else besides Italian director. Returns with Bones and All, which reunites him with Timothy Chalamet, mm -hmm. of course, who was in Call Me By Your Name. Bones and All is a really uh, strange premise of, of a film. It's set in 1980s America. Especially on paper. Especially on paper. Uh, it's set in 1980s America and follows uh, uh, Mira, this 18-year-old. And the film begins in sort of very typical 1980s high school fashion. Uh, locker rooms and, 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 and you know, uh, uh, yellow buses and people hanging around with books under their arms. And it's just like, yeah, I'm back in this kind of territory. Mirren is clearly uh, a young girl who doesn't have a lot of friends and doesn't have a lot of interaction. At the very beginning of the film, it's near the end of term, and the, one of the schoolgirls says, hey, why don't you come hang out with us tonight? My parents are out. She says, my dad, my dad won't let me. Uh, and she says, sneak out, it's no problem. And you're like, and she says, okay, fine, uh, fine. So she goes home and she lives with her dad who loves her dearly. It's just her and him. And they live in this very rundown, very dilapidated um, uh, uh, home. Like, 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 sort of like a mobile home. Yeah. And 
um, she's clearly thinking about going out later. And they have dinner, and he sleeps on the sofa, and he, she says, okay, I'm going to bed. And he says, right, good night. And she, once she shut the door, he gets up out of bed, and there's a bolt on the front of her door, and he locks it. He then goes to sleep. She then opens the window. This is all in the opening minutes of the film and is shown in the trailer. She then, you know, is able to crank her window open and she runs away and she, she goes to her friend's Sneaks house. Out. And, you know, already you're in very sort of teen uh, uh, um, territory with all these tropes. It's a sleepover party. It's mm. the 1980s, you know. And you have these four friends and she's one of them and they're, you know, painting each other's nails and they're talking about their lives. And she's in this really well shot way lying onto this glass table with this, this other friend mm. talking about... Uh, their, their life almost this, this, like a romantic yeah there's, there's an air of desire about it and um lust which is very key to this film there this friend is, is taking real interest in Mira and asking her about her life you know what happened to your mother Do, you know is it just you and your dad where did you move here from and Mirren is answering and you can sense they're really sort of like breaking through to each other and Mirren is looking at this girl with a real sort of growing sense of desire and there's a palpable tension in the air. You can really, you can really, really think, what's going to happen? This girl has her, her nails painted, and she sort of shows them to Mirren. Mirren then sort of grabs her finger and puts it in her mouth, and you think in sort of like a pseudo-sexual way, mm. and then bites down as hard as she can to and the bone, to the bone and off. rips off this girl's like flesh and tendon off her finger. With blood what? everywhere. Hang on, and. The girls are screaming at their other friends. Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! They pull Mirren off her. She's she's covered in blood, and she runs out of the house. She's in eighteen, by the way. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. For strong bloody gore straight away. You're like you. you mean it's you're, you're straight in there. She runs back home. She bursts and she says, "Daddy, daddy!" And he says, "Oh my!" He says, "Oh my god! What have you done? You didn't. You didn't, did you? Right. Three minutes. Grab what you can. We have to, we go. Have to go." And they head off on uh, on the lamb. And so begins a film and a story that it crosses states and crosses. Uh, the whole, you know, the the, the country of, of America, like the the, yeah, throughout the Midwest, that is a you know, a road trip that is very much like uh, Huckleberry Finn and uh, um, encountering different characters and tales and and and, and uh, quests along the way. Um, I think it's worth saying that um, uh, one such character she meets pretty soon in the film is Mark Rylance's character Sully. Yeah. Mark Rylance, who's int- there, there are lots of different. I, th- I found film references or film evocations in this film. And when Mark Rylance appears, it very much for me reminded me of a film called The Night of the Hunter from 1950, which is really, really um, strong noir uh, with Robert Mitchum in it as this kind of overzealous preacher right, okay. with love and hate on his tattoos. And the introduction of Mark Rylance down the street in the shadows in the, in the lamplight mm. was very much like that. Talking in his southern kind of way. He's just one such character, you know, the brilliant Mark Rylance as ever. And then also at some point she meets Timothy Chalamet. Now, that's Bones and All. That's the setup. James, do you have your thoughts? Do you want to jump in with yours? Yeah, so just on that opening, I almost, in the first four minutes up to that point, I, I, I kind of feel like I wasn't even paying attention. Right. Because it, that, those tropes that you suggested... Are so for, familiar. For me, so familiar, I was like, yeah, I get it. And then that moment happens. Yeah. And all of a sudden, I was like, I, li- I think I moved in my seat and I was like, whoa, yeah. now I'm paying attention. Went in knowing very little, but well, I did know that yeah. cannibalism play a part. Did not expect yeah. it right there yeah. and there and that's, it, and that's the thing. So um, I... <laughs> I, I knew that moment happened because I knew nothing about the film until I went to see Barbarian and they showed a trailer. Oh, okay. And I saw those first few frames and I looked away. But cannibalism and her nature as, as somebody who wants to eat is, is a theme in this film. It's yeah. not just like, why did she eat, bite this person? It's clear that 
she has a craving for flesh and she's not alone in that feeling. And it's quite careful in how it explains the rules of its universe to yeah. you. And, and you know, we use the word cannibal, but it, yeah, I think it felt yeah. like something really different in this, yeah, I, right? I think, I think, so let's talk about Bones. I think what works in this film is that it's very clear early on that um, the whole idea of cannibalism, as we just said, yeah. or eaters, is that it's a parable, a metaphor, an allegory for other marginalized people in society. I think about sexuality. I think addiction. about addiction. These people who are marginalized and made to be outside. It's a film about outsiders. Yeah. People who can't help what they do and, and, and the pain that they cause and, 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 and the pain that they create. Um, I think you have some really wonderful shot moments. Some, it's a, it's a beautiful, Luke, it's a love letter Luke, to the Midwest. Luke is a really stylish guy. I think he has his yeah. own like interior design practice or his own architecture practice now. Like right, he's well. just you know, an air for uh, taste and designing and, and, and flair. And um, yes, yeah, the, yeah, the 1980s Midwest has never looked so good. Not, not overly done, not like overly stylized, no. but it's, I think it's shot on film and it kind of has that kind of warmth to it. Um, you have, um, yeah, the, the, uh, really uh, tangible, um, uncomfortable moments. In the first half an hour, I was like, this is, uh, what am I watching? I love, I love this blend of coming of age, sort of sexual horror, gore, uh, uh, epic buildings Roman thing all coming together. Whenever Mark Reines is on the screen, he absolutely lights up. Maybe, maybe just a touch chewing the scenery, perhaps, but... I think he's. It's, uh, it's. I, I think. I, I. I think he's brilliant in it, and I yeah. think it's a character that I won't ever forget. I don't think right. I've ever experienced or seen a character like that before. True. And it's a performance from Mark Ryan. It's I probably won't forget yes. either. It's truly unique. It's still very Mark Ryan. It's the yes. very sort of like slightly shy yes. territory that Mark Reynolds really. But the, the 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 theatrical drama the, is the there. Theatr- the theatrical drama is there. Um, I think. If I can, yeah. The the opening sort of interaction between her and Mark Ryan is a really interesting passage of the film. That all said, I have to say that I think it's a film that despite this really strange, really um, knotty and interesting, palpable mm-hmm. premise at its heart, I think it's a film for me that the longer it went on, the less interesting it became. Wow, really? And I, I, I got bored, frankly, and I felt nothing towards the wow. end. I, you know, Mark Ryan's great. Timothy Chalamet, look, I like Timothy Chalamet and he's good. For me in this, he was just doing... He was given just a variation of a Timothy Chalamet character. I saw nothing new in this. I, I saw more. I got a, a more interesting Timothy Chalamet performance in Don't Look Up than I did in this. Right? Um, there was, you know, I've seen lots of great reviews, and maybe you're about to jump in with a different one. But like, I, I think that's what it's a shame for this film. This film can only really work when you have this sort of, in, you know, you've got this central relationship between Timothy Chalamet's character and um, Mirren, the main character. And I wanted to, you know, it only works if you're invested and you care about this. And I just found that I really, really didn't. And there's a, there's quite an emotional scene with Timothy Chalamet um, with like a monologue. He when he cries, talks about his his family. And I remember thinking, am I am I supposed to be emotional here? Wow. Am I supposed to care about this? I was like, I no, I found I found it almost like misplaced in its emphasis. I sometimes have this with road trip films where the the, the focus becomes as meandering as the journey itself. Um, I. Th- I, yeah, I, I I was quite disappointed with it, and um, it just sort of eventually ended. And uh, so yeah, it, it works for me. Yeah, so so it te- really I can tell you had a different opinion. So so what? So you you came away to feeling differently. So I've not seen. Well, I have seen films like it. I've not seen a film t- doing what it's done with that right thing. 
Um, I have. I don't think I ever want to see a film yeah. do what uh, it's doing with Can I say, so, but I ha- Have you not seen Raw? I saw. Like, I uh, Raw, yeah. yeah. I, sure, but um, yes, fair enough. But yeah. not. No, I, I, Raw was this French film from like five years ago. Similar. Again, similar psychosexual, yeah, coming of age thing. Um, I loved. As I said before, the way in which you revealed the laws of its world and yeah. the different characters that have uh, interpreted what they do in different ways. There's sort of this sense that there is almost like a genetic mutation. One in every hundred million yeah, yeah. is an eater, and they can sort of figure out who each other are and they meet pop kitchen favorite Michael Stuhlbarg oh, along the yes, way. I know. Also I was so happy we Endlessly up. versatile doing yeah. something really interesting in this film, I thought. And um, the film's two hours long, but I could have happily spent six in its universe. No, James, I, I, thought it, I thought it was what? fantastic. I think I think what you said about towards the end, where it slightly lost you. I think with, I'm not going to go into spoilers, but I think there was a decision made to do with some certain character that I don't think needed to happen for this film to work yeah. for me. Um, I think because we talked about it being an allegory for you know being isolated, sexuality, addiction. When those moments where characters did talk about what had happened to them, I was so captivated with what they were doing, and it just really. Really? worked both with Mark Rylance's character and the way in which he was almost yeah. like trapped as a child in this old person's body and um and, and I just thought it was completely heartbreaking and towards the end I, it was so dark and it's so gruesome and there were times I couldn't I could barely stomach what I was seeing and then other times where I was just completely heartbroken and when credits rolled I was upset and I had I had watery eyes wow, and I thought really? it was beautiful to look out the score I, I need to get up who did the score uh, it's Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross oh, of course it is it was yeah. absolutely in love with it um, there's moments of absolute horror and despair there's this sense that it's like a heart of darkness descending down into this impossible position pursuit of something that might not even be what you thought it was i don't want to go into what that is because i think it could potentially be a spoiler um i think the the moments where i did fatigue is relating to a character which i think they didn't need to bring back i was like yeah yeah yeah. that that moment you had with that person was complete for me yeah and I, i think if you've seen it you'll know what i mean and i think the way in which it sort of quickly crescendoed. I thought that was yeah. not necessary. But I, as I said, like the ways in which it's revealed itself, it never really felt about something about cannibals. It felt about something completely new. Same way, annoying reference. If The Last of Us never really felt like a zombie film, it felt like its own thing, even though they kind of are zombies. <laughs> but I'm amazed. That's the most we've, that's the biggest, that's the most dis- the thing we've sort of separated. Yeah, separate, yeah. But I don't, I really don't, I don't, I can't, it's not like I can pinpoint and say, well, there's your entry point. I just didn't get in there. I just don't, for me, the film just, just, increasingly became less and less interesting i just didn't wow i don't i don't i yeah i don't i can't i i, I didn't ever it's not like when i saw what after if we should sun, talk spoilers after this yeah maybe we should add it in the spoiler chat but yeah. when we it's not like when i saw after sun and i was like well i can see that's a very emotional moment that is kind of working for me but and would have worked for me more yeah when i saw yeah, bones and all i just i couldn't believe that that was i didn't think anyone else in the screening room also thought that I was bored. I, wow. I, I just, I, I, you know what it was? I, for, for a film that was so crazy and had this really like gnarly premise, I barely, I couldn't, I, I barely thought about it once I got home. Wow, it's stuck in my mind. How? How can we have such a different reaction to a film? Did I miss That's something? Okay. Was I, no, was I, I in a wrong mood? I don't think you, I potentially could have been in a bad mood, but I, I was, bad, I, I grit, like I said, from the first, from that thing that happening in the first four minutes, it was like, hey, yeah, yeah, this is something very special. It's yeah, like but very different. Me, but like that, that grippingness wore off for me. Like I said, it just became more commonplace. No, I, I think there were so many. There were so many great moments where they they had serious consequences for what they needed to okay, do. You and I are going to need to talk about this. In we need to talk about this. Because otherwise, terms. people haven't seen this are just going to go. I, okay, look, I think 
you and I, if we're going to talk about this film anymore, we need to talk about it in spoilers, and we'll put yes. it in the spoiler thing we're going to release later this week. But for now, I think what I can say and what we disagree on is that I personally found it to be overlong and not emotionally involving and uh, less interesting the longer it went on and really kind of lost its interesting, gnarly premise. You, however... Could have, could have watched another two hours. Right, there you go. Interesting, please let us so know. Let us know um, if you've seen it, because I, I, again, I keep seeing rave reviews elsewhere, and I think, am I the only one? Let me know if you've seen, let us know, me. <laughs> you can let both of us know if you've seen Bones and All. Uh, let it write into hello at popkitchenpodcast.com and then we'll settle this, James. <laughs> well, no, I think Once we can both just disagree. Yes, I know, I know, yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. <laughs> anyway, there you are. That was Bones and All. So there you go, George. The films are coming in hot week by week. We can yes. barely try to see them all. Just like our emails are coming in hot every single week. You <laughs> can write in into the show at uh, hello at popkitchenpodcast.com and have your email read out just like Joshua did. Joshua writes in from South Africa. Hey. And says, hi, gents. Joshua from South Africa here. Huge fan of yours that's been consistently watching your podcast weekly since about episode three. Wow. God bless you, you loyal fan. I'm a vivid film and series viewer. And because a of your vivid. Recommend, a vivid. Like he, he's there to just recall he's it. He's a vivid. vivid. Hmm. Interesting. And because of your recommendations, <laughs> I've been able to watch a lot more variety. I like that. As someone in their 20s, I've had the privilege of being in tune with new films and series and keeping up with the trends while still having the advantage of having, ha, still having the advantage of having viewed classics that are momentous to cinema. Mm-hmm. My worry is that with the massive amount of availability being given to kids growing up with the vast amount of streaming services, that the classics will begin to lose value and what they meant to cinema and to children who enjoy movies. Mm. Do you think there is a way to prevent this or a way for for kids to enjoy old classic movies even though the cgi or graphics would be outdated for them because honestly no kid should go through life without seeing without knowing the famous and iconic i am your father speech love the podcast and i'm so proud of you guys for reaching 50 episodes oh, consistently you. posting brilliant dynamic you two share p.s completely agree with the view on hacksaw ridge thank Sorry you for long email thanks Trish. i feel like that hacksaw ridge take is just gonna haunt ever. us forever. forever we're not saying, uh, I mean, you we said it was a stinker. We did go hard. Yeah, I, mean, I think you more so than me. Oh, don't shake the blame <laughs> onto me, baby. No. I don't, you know, it, it's not the worst film I've ever seen. I just think, I'm just, it still baffles me how much people like that film. But anyway, anyway. As a lot of people, they often ask us to like, right. kind of fix cinema. Which yeah, kind of, like, had, we had a very it? similar question before. That was yeah. a bit like, um, a bit like this about um, the state of cinema and if people are watching Marvel too much. And mm. The thing is, I guess, off the cuff, what's going to, keep cinema alive and keep people connected to the wider history of cinema and it's people i wasn't gonna say this like this well no it's not podcast like this well yeah yeah no it's a wider thing of like talking about cinema and talking about films exposing people to good films good cinema creating and sustaining the film culture that Mm. keeps cinema alive because if you don't talk about films and compare films and analyze films and discuss celebrate the ones that are good as well and celebrate the ones that are good and joke about the ones that are bad and look at why films work if you don't do all the extracurricular talking about film there is no film culture and then then it's just pieces of content yeah so going to the cinema is one thing going to the cinema and talking with your mates about it that's what keeps film alive because that's how you trade in opinions trade interests oh i didn't realize that person had been in that thing mm. and, and and this one dimensional piece of you know digital content that was on your disney plus streamer now becomes contextualized you may also like in a much wider landscape of film history so never let me go with andrew garfield as well yeah <laughs> <laughs> not just amazing spider-man 2 yes. so just i think that's it if um 
if anyone is just getting into cinema and or just getting them. into film, just dig deeper. Mm, and be the person who says, oh, if you like read that, around you it. would love that. Read around it and talk to people about it. And then in so doing, you keep you keep the dream alive. A person we often quote on this podcast, which is kind of frustrating because we've Martin named, Luther King. <laughs> we've named our podcast after one of his films. But uh, Quentin Tarantino was talking on Howard Stern and Howard Stern was asking about the right, comments. Yes. That so so, so, so you, were, you were a guy in the, in the 90s, weren't you? I mean... How would you? How would you? <laughs> this is literally out, exactly. Yeah. What I was so he's talking about. So he's talking about how Scorsese made the comments about roller coasters and Marvel films. Yeah. And Tarantino made this very interesting point, which is that the the, the landscape of superhero films and Star Wars films have been so prevalent for so long now that he said, as someone who is a grown up film watcher, watched the first Iron Man film when they were eight. So for them, yes. that is cinema. Yeah. And they've grown up thinking that like the endless universes and iterations on things is, is, is cinema. Yeah. And if it's not that, it's Star Wars. And if it's not yeah. that, it's, it's, it's something it's out, else. It's yeah. And so you end up with this people who didn't know what it was like before, yeah. where like there were just many more different things. I'm, I'm not or, saying, or even, I'm not saying yeah. off the MCU. I'm just saying it's like we have a, a, de- a definitive new landscape yeah, for cinema, for better or worse. And he was saying that's, what, that's what's kind of disconcerting. So even the idea of there being a, Batman that came out in 1989 with Michael Keaton. The idea yeah. of that would be like, what? And obviously, they have the internet and know about older films, but your experiences, uh, uh, hearing about stories and being exposed to things. Isn't it funny that it's yeah, different? That they don't know that there was a time you could go and like there would be they weren't uh, all a rom com that was made for eighty million dollars and can make a load of money. Yeah, and be number one in the box. Like the D- we talked about the sort of the, the DVD era where yeah. films were conceived yeah. of differently and were marketed differently because they had this second wind and now they just have to be out in the cinema and that's it. Or mm. then they're on to guy on Netflix. Um, so actually, I just thought that was an interesting comment to say about that. But Joshua, I'm sorry, we we can't solve. Just keep cinema. talking about it, keep enjoying it, keep engaging, and um, it keep if it's, if adding, adding dimensions to what can be a very one-dimensional experience if you let it. Yeah, and if there's a film that you know is really good, go and see it in cinema. Give it the, the audience it deserves in yes. the format it deserves. Yes. Um, just, just for the record, I'm not trying to say, like I began that answer with, that Pulp Kitchen is the answer to this at all. I, I didn't mean that. I am the answer <laughs> to this. <laughs> Me! <laughs> this next one's from Calvin, who says, Afternoon, gents. Since my last email, I'm now almost caught up. So yes, I thought this- I would add to a recent conversation from episode 49 about trailers, George. No, I was just going to say, yes, I remember Calvin, his yes, name. friend of the show, Calvin. Hey, Calvin. One listener wrote in to complain about trailers, to which you both agreed that a lot of trailers these days reveal far too much. Yes. I have to disagree that this is a recent phenomenon. One classic example of a trailer spoiling a plot development was the Terminator 2 trailer from 1991, which mm. revealed the fact that, spoilers, Arnold was playing the good guy, something that is much better kept as a surprise. I agree. Um, yeah. there, are many older, there are many older examples too, e.g. the trailer for Carrie in 1976 gives away essentially the yep. whole plot. At the same time, you had some trailers which were notable on how little they revealed while still being effective in selling the film e.g. Alien, which was literally just the name of the film, slow fading in over a shot of an egg and some ominous music. All this to say, I think we've both had good and bad trailers since trailers began. To start any discussion about trailers with these days feels very reductive. In my opinion, trailers haven't changed. We have. When I was a kid, I would watch trailers for films like Van Helsing and The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen Whoa. on repeat. What a little like say, window of films. When, when you say Van Helsing and The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, all I see is green. Just all I see dark, is the green, dark, murky, green, green screen. Yeah. Wow. I'm sure there are called that League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Yeah. I have not thought about that yeah, film. I saw that at the cinema. And? Uh, <laughs> and that was the last time I ever thought about it. I was nine. I'm sure there are still kids out there that are absolutely eating up modern trailers that we sometimes dismiss. On a separate note, I have a question for you both. I often hear questions like- well, Hang on, hang let, on. Oh, sorry, wait, wait, we'll, wait, stop. Let's do the first Let's do the first, first one. Trailers. trailers. Okay, I agree. There are many historical examples. 
of how that is done. Um, a great example is Castaway. If you've ever seen, have you seen, oh, you've seen see, Castaway? Yeah, yeah, I haven't right. seen the trailer. Okay, spoilers for Castaway now. The, the whole trailer for Castaway builds it, 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 gives away not only the fact that he gets cast away, gives away that he comes back. That's insane. And it, and, and it basically sells the film as being like, what, you know, how far can you go before you come back? And it, it sells the <laughs> film on him trying to reconnect with Helen Hunt, which is what? basically, that's the last... that's one scene at the end of a castaway. Like the, that's the emotional climax of the whole film. But the, 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 it's got like a noodly guitar thing happening. It's like, well, how do you find yourself? When you've been away and you're thinking, oh, does he get stranded just like in that the first act? Like, we need to market this differently yeah. to get like a love couple story. Yeah, I know. Thing. Right? Yeah. Helen Hunt's just won an Oscar. Let's get her in this more. It's this man on the island. I know. The film. He's cast away. <laughs> okay. And there's no lines and he's like hacking over these FedEx boxes. Um, so does Castaway hold up? I watched it last year and it does. Oh, you did? In a way that like they don't make films like that anymore. It's Do you a just get like Robert a reminder Zemeckis. on your phone every five years if you haven't seen something yeah. like shit? I have to watch Castaway. <laughs> More than I have doctor's appointments. They get, it's time for your check-in with Castaway. Yeah. No, um, that film, uh, yeah, it's like it was made in 2000 and it's just like classic. Just Robert Zemeckis, big budget, mm. kind of folksy, kind of wholesome. Takes a long time to get into what yeah, it's doing. Yeah, ha- but it has thrills and scares. The plane crash, he's stuck on an island. Wilson. But it has like, Wilson. <laughs> I mean, if it's if he can get you caring about a volleyball with a blood print on its face, yeah. good for it. This next one's from Daniel. Thank you, Calvin. This Thank next you. one's from Daniel, who says, Hello, huge congratulations on 50 episodes. Thank, Thank you. you. Such a massive achievement, especially considering all you do outside of the podcast too. You know what? That's such a nice <sighs> thing to say. We, re- you know, it's Just all the you kind do. words about the podcast are, are really nice, but, but kind words about what the we do the rest stuff? of our life. Thank you. I'm touched. The, the ever-receding other life that yeah. I have outside of this podcast. Uh, just saw Glass Onion with my nan. And all I can say is, wow, your review was spot on. Such a fun, smart, and innovative movie. How refreshing. My question for you boys is, what is a film tradition that you hold dearly? Ooh, a tradition? For me, it's seeing the latest Who Done It or Bond film with my nan. Hence why she loves the Knives Out films. Hmm. Movies always put a smile on her face and just give us a special bond. What a magical thing. As always, keep up the amazing work. Before you know it, we'll be celebrating 100 episodes and your new spot on primetime telly yes call us first 50 episodes then the world um what a lovely email yeah traditions um i well um uh, traditions when you say traditions with film i immediately think of like christmas movies because that's the only time you have a tradition repeated i would say that um this is uh, what happens at Christmas time a lot. This isn't a tradition. Is what we typically do. We end up watching a lot of much older films, like black and white films from the sixties and the fifties nice. and the forties. And we, I think it's something about something about the kind of darker nostalgia, comforting pastness of Christmas. That kind of time that kind yeah. of sets you into this frame of mind. We're like, I don't want something new and energetic from the outside world. I want something calmer and steadier from the past okay mm. i want that crackle of black and white audio you know so there's been many great christmases when we've gone back and i've discovered on the waterfront his girl friday um uh, um the apartment some like it hot these just wonderful uh sunset boulevard these great uh, all about eve these great mm. films in the past and that's almost like something i look forward to every year because it's the one time of year not one time of year i can watch those films anytime but it's like it's very hard 
increasingly in this ever frenetic digital age to settle yourself down and watch a two-hour black and white film where the pacing and the, just the yeah, whole long approach track. to filmmaking was completely different for different rotten your pe- brain pe- yeah, people's different attention spans and people's different expectations but if you can get into that frame and and watch those oh and like Powell and Pressburger films as well like just um, that's a nice tradition well I will say as well a funny little anecdote as well um, I talking about Nans um, it used to be interesting when we used to watch films with my Nan because as she got older, eyesight, not so good, right? right? But she would still want to watch films. But that means she couldn't really follow films visually. So, for example, I remember we put on, like, Road to Perdition, and it was like, she can really, she, she was like, yeah, it's okay, but I remember yeah. watching that. It's very visual, very, like, showed sure. up. But we put on Shawshank, right? Uh, Shawshank Redemption. She got to the end, she was like, I really enjoyed that, because that film is a lot of dialogue, yes. narration, and it, and I was like, that is a testament to that film, that, dialogue, to a 90-year-old woman who can't really see... She was able to follow it enough to not only go, oh yeah, I watched the film and understood it, to be like, I liked it. And Maybe I why the film is so universally loved, that even film, for people who are able to. That's yeah. a bit of, I think, you know, we talked about this before, yeah. it's a bit of a deal breaker film. If I met someone who was like, it's, I'm not saying everyone has to think that Shawshank is the best film of all time. Like it's like, you know. It's a very top, like basic answer for people, it's just, the best film of all time. People but it's, but it's, I'm like, it's, it's quite an easy film to, it's a really easy film to engage like and like with. Like, like if someone came out and said, oh, I think Shawshank is just despicable, but I'd be like, what? Yeah. Come on, it's all there for you. Yeah. It's easy. It's 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 not stupid. It's just like it takes it's what, Good guys. What, 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 what more do you need? Yeah. It's kind of got everything you need there. Please. <laughs> it's so like disgusted with somebody who wouldn't. Well, I just think, you know, you might not love it, love it. Yeah. It's just it's just a good film. Have you ever met anyone who's not like Shawshank? No. Exactly. Never. Um, my tradition is that I see horror movies with my cousin because nice. he's an older cousin of mine. He's like three years older than me. And I had two older sisters who never really were into like gory, mm. violent things. And it was, uh, we sort of used to hang out at the age of the internet when like sort of like viral horror would happen and we sort of discovered Blair Witch Project. And I remember when like the Saw films weren't done mm. to death yet. Yeah. And there was this idea that like if you went on like some of the most horrifying films online on the internet, like we know when you watch things on mega video uh. and then you we remember <laughs> like we discovered Saw and we thought it was like our secret because yeah. it wasn't a film that was marketed because it was so gory. Yeah. And then we discovered like, oh my God, they made a Saw 2 yeah. and you got really into this universe. I'm not saying these are like amazing films, but to this day we send each other horror trailers and we actually wanted to go and see Barbarian together but couldn't uh because i was away but uh, we did go and see um, it chapter two together we saw it one which yeah. we really really yeah, yeah, liked enjoyed, in cinema yeah. and then we like saw it chapter oh, two gosh. and i remember breaking it to my car i remember being like yeah we'll go see it. obviously any horror movie i remember telling him in like the, the foyer we're buying popcorn i was like you know it's three hours yeah, right james, i like, told you it was yeah, three you hours told, you told we me. went to see ad astra and i was like, i saw it and you're like yeah i'm seeing it with my cousin looking forward to it and yes, i was like you remember i was like it's two hours 50 and you're that, like it, your eyes just like it's up. two hours so 50. That, that communication line i remember like you know this is three hour film and he was like what yeah and i was like yeah like we're here until 11 20 this is like not a yeah. late screen i was like yeah we're here and for the long he's like are you kidding me i was like no no i swear to god look at your ticket yeah. it, and he's like i can't believe it i was like neither can i and we were already like just so yeah. I, I was so daunted by the film's not good in the first 10 minutes i'm like i can't believe yeah i have to sit through this much more but anyway without going into it chapter no. two uh, horror films with my cousin um would you rather talking about long films that you can't believe are as long as they are and you really yeah. couldn't sit through them would you rather sit through it chapter two again or blonde oh yeah. i've spoken to some people who do like blonde really? i didn't get it and i sort of heard from them when you know, we talked see previous our, episode you're going to go into, into our blonde review you know we talked about sort of visually i agree with them like visually it's yeah, very pretty to look at but i found it quite problematic but anyway um i think i probably see 
blonde. There's more talent in blonde. There's more talent in blonde, and I feel like there's there is a chance that I've missed something. I'd love to look at it again. Yes. But I even still, what a what a torturous, Three agonizing uh, ordeal. But that I would still be. think I take it over the dumb. Just uh, the I just I, I appreciate so, the cinematography. When, when I found out it chapter two was three hours long, I was so annoyed yes. at the filmmaker. I was like, how dare you misunderstand what this audience what is, is here how for? How have the people how, who love this and make yeah. it not stepped in to go, hang on, what yeah. are we doing? That is double the runtime of what it should be, really. <laughs> it's, okay? it's, it's unbelievable. Oh. Um, sorry, it's been quite a tangent, but Daniel, thank you for your question. Victoria commented on our Barbarian review and said, hi guys, I look forward to seeing this and have never heard of it. Would love to see you review some old films. Okay. American Beauty, Silver Linings Playbook, Joker, brackets. I know you touched on this when talking about Joker 2 three times. Thanks for your videos. Um, just a quick one, George. American Beauty, Sam Mendes. Only seen it once, probably like 12 years ago. Can't really give, as we know, I can't give an authority. 12 years ago, I can't George give an authoritative rule. opinion on that other than I thought, oh yeah, that's kind of interesting. Um, Silver Linings Playbook, again, saw it 10 years ago. I remember actually quite liking it. Yeah. I, know, I know people who really hate that film. Really hate it. I, I remember quite enjoying it. I remember finding the dance routine kind of sweet. Yeah. I'm sure if I went back to it now, I would find the whole maybe depiction of mental illness a little bit um, passe. And also um, David O. Russell's just leaves a bad taste in my mouth. Um, Please see Amsterdam Review. Please see Amsterdam Review. Although... Our Amsterdam review sounds nicer than we actually felt about it, I yeah. realise. We, we sounded nicer than we actually yeah. felt about it. Um, and Joker, look, we've spoken about we've spoken it. About we, that may be a bit like Bones and All. I think we really disagree on that. Disagree. I, I, I think I find Joker to be an interesting concept with um, no idea how to execute it. I, I feel like Joker... You think it's more of a happenstance that it... It's if like, it does it's work, like, you think it's it, a It's like a great pitch. What if we took this really interesting IP that everyone's really familiar with and completely took it in a direction that no one expects? We're going to make it into basically a Scorsese film. We're going to turn it into Taxi Driver. We're going to turn it into King of Comedy. And I go, that's great. Well, what else you've got? No, that no, that's it. That's the film. It's just us doing Joker in Scorsese world. Oh, what? but why? why? Why have you made that decision? Other than trying to do something different, Why? Just, um, oh, let's shoot Robert De Niro. <laughs> um, oh, look at this bit. Okay, mate. Sure, Todd, sure. But I'm open to watching Joker 2 because that sounds even crazier. I'm really excited Lady Gaga to is see Harley what Quinn. Joker 2 does. It's a musical. Because of, yeah, because of what I think Joker, whether or not you think it was intentional or not, the way it made people feel in that year, in that time, and how it divided people, I think <sighs> is what makes Joker interesting. So yeah. I don't, th I, my gut instinct is it's not going to be as interesting as Joker 2. I don't think Joker 1 was written with a Joker 2 in mind, so therefore I'm slightly apprehensive yeah. to think that Joker 2 is going to be as well crafted if it was at all. Uh, American Beauty, not seen it in years. I do wonder if it holds up. I kind of mm. think about memories of the moment, I'm like, yeah. Having doesn't... having but, seen, so, I'm sorry to interrupt again, I know, but like having seen Sam Renders his recent output of Empire of Lie. I'm not really sure, like, but I think excited. that's probably regarded as his best film. Yeah, maybe that on 1917, maybe. But yeah, uh, I've, I think I've seen it twice, but uh, not for a really long time. Silver Linings Playbook, I kind of agree. I think people were very Marmite on it and I was kind of in the middle. Didn't yeah. dislike it. Yeah, There's certain same. parts that I found really good. I thought it was really well acted, great yeah. cast. Um, and yeah, Joe Crove, Joe Crove. We've covered. This last one is from Charlie. He says, hi, lads. Firstly, I love the pod. Thank Nuanced, you. Nuanced but not arrogant film chat is a difficult area to find content oh, that, on. That's very kind. But thank you've you. nailed it. Oh, well, thank you. That's it. Now. This is where loads of people are screaming <laughs> at them at radios. <laughs> yeah. No, they're not. 
I watched 500 Days of Summer last night. Oh, uh, yes, we Enjoyed, even though Tom is a knobhead. <laughs> this is an English person. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and was left with one thought. What has happened to Joseph Gordon-Levitt? Mm. Seems like he would take over films at one stage, but is now in very little. Similar thing has happened to a few other actors. Strange one. Also, have you seen The Bear? Truly brilliant TV series. Have a good one. Kind regards, Charlie. First one, George. Um, 500 Days of Summer is a film we've sort of covered. Yeah, we've sort of covered it. It hasn't just, really aged well. But classic it, film that was like massive for people of our age. You cannot doubt time. its cultural it, impact. It's huge. It's great music, soundtrack. Great soundtrack. Um, it, it I watched it like four times. Mass with, appeal indie film, yeah, right? Really enjoyed it. And then I grew up. And then yeah. I looked back and was like, that's, that's a, a weird bit, decision uh, for a character quite to make. egocentric male, uh, and it really, underwritten um, female gave character. Zoe Deschanel her typecast of the Manny Pixic dream girl. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I, don't, I don't have problems with it. There are some individual sequences which I still think about. Yeah, you know, I agree. But, but, but problematic. Um, the expectation but reality scene. I am. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Sorry. <laughs> Joseph Gordon Levitt. Sorry, I get so emotional when I'm talking about him. <laughs> um, okay. Joseph Gordon Levitt, I, I, I've always liked, and I agree, he did, does seem to have fallen away, but he mm. has been in some stuff. He was in a. Apple TV Plus show called Mr. Corman. Corman. Great. Um, exactly. You hear that silence? Yeah, no one watched it. Yeah. And um, uh, he Is was that a, Apple TV vacuum. No, he was on um, Paramount Plus in the Uber. Another, it's like the yeah. We Crashed Uber, same formula. He did that uh, you know, film about Edward Snowden. Called Snowden. Called yeah. Snowden, which completely missed the point of why right. it made it all about Edward Snowden and not really about the issue. Which, yeah. And that's what Edward Snowden said. He's like, I'm not the story here. The yeah. story is that, you know, yeah. government's still um, But I, th- I, I, I always think J- Joseph Gordon-Levitt comes across as a really charming, yeah. nice guy. I would like to see him in more. He's in Trial of the Chicago 7. He was. He was good in that. Yeah, but that's, was a mass, good in that's a massive ensemble cast yeah. and he wasn't on trial. Yeah. So it's like Eddie Redmayne's in that film. Have you seen that video about how only thing Joseph Gordon-Levitt does as Inception is explain things? Yes. And you realise, oh my God, he doesn't. Yeah. He's just there to explain the yeah, plot. Yeah, Basil Exposition. There's nothing down there. It's just raw subconscious. Yeah, yeah. It's fantastic. Um, yeah, well, there so, you go. Well, thank you very much, Charlie. As always, if you have thoughts, questions, concerns, you want to just write into the show to say hi, you yeah. can do by emailing hello at popkitchenpodcast.com. We will do our best to read your email out on the show. Okay, James, as ever, let's end the show with a quick game. Let's this time, I'm putting you in the hot seat. We're going to play a game that we haven't played, I don't think, since like the early days of this show. I think it was part of another game that I yes. maybe did. Okay. Okay, so this is, I'm going to name a film and you have to tell me the year it was released. And this is a game for you to dish because you know, I'm surprised you even have your phone because you just know I every do. single one. Anyone who listens carefully to this show will know that I often just go, George, yeah? And he just He'll fax it to, to the room. But yeah, okay, go on. I'm okay. not so good with it. I feel like I'm normal at this. Okay. Let's, we'll <laughs> Let's see how well you do. Okay. Okay, here we go. Guess the year these films came out okay. in three, two, one. Jaws. Oh, 19... Uh, oh, shit. Wrong. 75. Rocky. 77, 8? Oh, I'm 76. afraid not. I'm afraid 76. Oh. Good morning, Vietnam. Uh, 79. Afraid not. It's 87, James. Oh, it's really off. The Hunger Games. Uh, 2010? 2012. Oh. A Bug's Life. 2001? 1998, James. Oh, it's old. Seven. Uh, 2000 and... No, it's 90s. It's 98. 95. The Italian 91. Job. The original. 
53. 53? <laughs> How old do you think Michael Caine is? It's 1969. <laughs> Spice World. 2000? That's the Spice Girls movies. No, I think they'd broken up by then. It's 1997. Okay, all right. Robocop. Um, 82. 87. You're not doing very well. I've not got one. The, p- the Pianist. Uh, 2007? 2002. You're way off, man. Way Silver off. Linings Playbook. Uh, 2014? 2012. 2012. Last one, The Godfather. 79. James, we did an episode this year that was its 50th anniversary, 1972. <laughs> you need to make sure you one. take your medication. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't get a single <laughs> one. <laughs> Unheard of. Unheard, Unheard of. of low. There's no doing right. worse. James, There's next no week, worse to Next do. week, James is going to give the same game to me and we'll see how the situation has changed. I'm going to have to go really fucking deep. Oh. <laughs> anyway... Ladies and gentlemen, you've reached the end of our show. There have been three reviews today. And um, um, like I said, keep your eye out for a spoiler chat. We're going to be doing all of Glass Onion spoiler chat. We're doing a little bit of Bones and All spoiler chat. And we'll be doing also just uh, thoughts on uh, Armageddon Time. If anyone's meant to see that, very little film, but, you know, good. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Pop Kitchen. Don't forget that we post new episodes of the show every single Wednesday. You know the drill. What are you going to do? You're going to like it on Instagram. You're going to like it on TikTok. You're going to follow. You're going to subscribe. You're going to tell someone, tell your friends, write a review. Hit the subscribe. Leave us some uh, uh, Apple podcast reviews. If you're listening on there, that would be cool. Maybe you're listening to this on Spotify and you're thinking, oh, I went went a bit Billy Connolly then. And maybe you're listening to this on Spotify and you don't really know about YouTube over there. And I wanted to go be a subscriber on YouTube as well. Um, Terrible. It's late. We're getting very (laughs) zany here. Um, Yeah. Thank you so much. Join us next week where we'll be a bit more compass mentors. See you next week.